Well, thank you, Charlie, for that uh, prayer. I just want to say to that, uh, yes and amen. I want to begin uh, this message entitled The New Covenant uh, by reading a couple of passages from the book of Jeremiah. These are selected verses from Jeremiah 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So uh, I'm going to state a premise and then give an example or two uh, to see if you agree with me. Okay, here's the premise. The old days are better than the present. Anybody agree with that? Yeah, all the old people say yes. Okay, I got that. How about this one? Quality is a thing of the past. Or they don't make things like they used to. Right? Okay. Or I use this phrase all the time. Back in the day, and then something good happened. I remember at our, I don't know if what anniversary, it was one of our anniversaries, we had a party at the church, at Hope Covenant Church, and, uh, and Sherry put out some pictures, and one of the pictures was a picture of our wedding, uh, August 1st, 1970. And of course, uh, I was, uh, uh, did I wear a yellow tux? No, I wore a black tux. Uh, anyway, uh, Sherry had, Sherry's colors were yellow and orange, don't ask. And uh, anyway, uh, so there's a picture of us on our wedding day, and uh, I'm 21 years old, Sherry's 19, it was legal back in the day uh, to do that, and, uh, and one, of our, one of my associate pastors, his wife, her name is Kristen, uh, came up, was looking at our wedding picture, and she said very loudly, uh, look, Pastor Dwayne used to be a babe. Well, that's one of the, my mantras, is I used to be a lot of things that I'm not anymore. And maybe you can understand that. Uh, I'm kind of old school that way. Uh, I know. I mean, the 75, 76 Cincinnati Reds, best baseball team of all time. Classic Beatles, Rolling Stones, Three Dog Nights singing Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog, all the best rock and roll. The Pittsburgh Steelers of the 1970s, Best football team ever. Scoops of ice cream the size of my fist. Full-size candy bars, quality construction, sitcoms like Andy Griffith, Leave it to Beaver, Donna Reed, Mary was hot, now she's 75 years old, uh, 57 Chevys, 64 SS, a, a 55 T-Bird. Oh, those are the good old days. I mean, I, I, right now I can feel a little tear kind of coming right down on my cheek right now. I love the good old days. Well, Jeremiah comes along and says to the Israelites, I've got something brand new, and it will far exceed the old. It's called the New Covenant, and it simply blows away the Old Covenant. Of course, the listeners, uh, the Israelites, the children of God, they would say, yeah, right, you say the New Covenant is better, but we're old school. We, I mean, give us idols, 
and give us scarecrows and give us leeks and onions from Egypt. That's the good old days. That's what we really want. And give us an angry God who sees our unfaithfulness and threatens to crush us. Those are the good old days. We love them. Well, the new covenant is really better than the old. Yeah, let's examine that this morning. Uh, The old covenant. So first of all, let's define our term covenant. It's a promise, a pledge, a testament. Now, our um, denomination is the Evangelical Covenant Church. Uh, We came out of Swedish Lutheranism. The Swedes emigrated to the United States in the mid-19th century. Uh, and uh, they started planting little churches. They were called Mission Friends. And eventually, we uh, became a denomination in Chicago, Illinois in 1885. And that's where they adopted the term, the Swedish Evangelical Mission Covenant Church of America. (laughs) Try and get that on your letterhead. It just won't fit. So now it's just the Evangelical Covenant Church. But here's the reason they put covenant in their title. They made a covenant, a promise a testament to the Lord that they would proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons I'm part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. So the, the word really has a lot of meaning. Let me give you a biblical definition of covenant. A biblical covenant is a binding relationship in which God promises to bless his people and his people promise to obey. Okay, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? God promises to bless his people and his people promise to obey. Now that's the tricky part to this covenant, right? Is the people on that side, right? It's a conditional covenant. God says, you do this and I'll do that. Now, the history of God's people is really a story of covenants. Uh, Let me share a few of those with you. Uh, The first one is the Adamic covenant or Adam's covenant, a covenant of obedience. Again, I will, you obey me, God said, and I will reward you. You obey me, I've given you this beautiful Garden of Eden filled with thousands of trees and plants and animals, all for your use, all to enjoy, all to give you the greatest life you can possibly imagine. But there's one tree in the back of the field, right? It's kind of a scraggly tree. Stay away from that one. The other trees, enjoy. But that one, stay, that's, the, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that tree. It's not good for you. Remember, God gave Adam and Eve, just like you and I last week, a free will. A free will. So they could choose to obey God or not, just like you and I have that choice. Well, you know what happened. Eve decided to taste the fruit. It probably wasn't an apple. It was a pomegranate. Sorry to tell you that. And uh, it tasted the fruit and passed it on to Adam. They broke their promise. They broke the covenant. God says, I will bless you if you simply obey me. And the obedience wasn't that much of a big deal. Just don't eat that tree. They couldn't do it. That's the story of mankind. That's the story of you and I trying to be obedient to God as well. So they messed that up royally. And uh, the Adamic covenant means that there's always consequences to your sin or to when you don't obey God. And their consequences, you know, they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, uh, Women were going to have pain in childbirth. Men had to, uh, you know, uh, pick the weeds out of the soil, all those things, all consequences of their sin. Then there was another covenant called the Noah covenant. And this was a covenant of safety, 
a covenant for all living creatures. After the flood, because the world was just totally messed up, and God said, listen, the flood, you know the story. Noah built the ark, and the six people were saved, and the rest of the people perished, all of that. But after he gave this covenant of safety that said, I will not destroy the world by a flood again, even though you'll probably deserve it. I will not do that. And he gave us his promise. And that promise was, he said, he put a bow in the sky, a rainbow. And that's the promise that he will never break that covenant. Then the Abrahamic covenant, probably the most important. This was a covenant of destiny. It was a covenant of land and people. Uh, Genesis 17 says, says it this way. This is my covenant with you. God is speaking. You will be the father of many nations. He's speaking to Abraham at this point, Abram. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you, me and you and your descendants after you. He also promised that through Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and they will be multiplied like the sands of the sea. Every one of these covenants was a personal bond in which God promised to bless his people and the people said, we promise to obey you. Now, the next one is the Mosaic Covenant. Now, this is the covenant that Jeremiah was referring to, the Mosaic Covenant, which is translated mostly the Ten Commandments, although there's more to it than that. And for Moses, this was a covenant of freedom, a covenant of deliverance. Jeremiah 31, 32 the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. A covenant of deliverance. I promise to deliver you. And when I deliver you, then I want you to be obedient to me. Jeremiah is referring to this Mosaic covenant that was given on Mount Sinai. Uh, you keep the Ten Commandments. God alone, no other gods, right? Sabbath day, honor it. Honor your parents, sanctity of human life and sexuality, all those things, all the Ten Commandments. And this was not rules in order for the people to be saved. Let me make that very clear. These are not rules or commandments in order to save the Israelites. I'll tell you why. But it was given to them how to live after being rescued after being delivered, after being the saved children of God. So we need to remember that as the Ten Commandments, as good as they are, they do not save us. For those of us today who are saved by Jesus, okay, we know that this is a promise. This is something that you want to keep. Of course, it's really important. God says, do this or you'll mess things up. But it was a covenant of freedom for the Israelites how to live your fullest life. In other words, the Ten, the Ten Commandments were designed to keep you from hurting others and keep you from hurting yourself. There was only one problem with the Old Covenant. The Israelites' covenant was broken time and time again. So a few years ago, I was driving uh, from uh, northern Scottsdale on the 101 uh, just after it heads uh, south. And uh, this was back when they had the cameras. You know you know where I'm going with this. So I'm, I'm driving along at a good pace, okay? 
a, a good pace. Uh, the speed limit then was 65. Uh, I was not going 65. And, uh, and they took my picture. By the way, honey, you remember, it was a good picture, okay? It was a good picture. But here, here's what happened. I had to pay a pretty substantial fine. I think it was like 150 or $200. And I had to go to a driving school, which, you know, I'm there with all these potheads and everything. I don't know. It's crazy. And so I'm, I'm experiencing all this. And one thing the, the instructor said, he said, all of you are here because you deserve to be here. And I'll never forget that. Because I broke my promise, my covenant to Arizona to keep things safe. And that's what God gave us the Ten Commandments for, to help keep us from hurting each other and hurting ourselves. So the covenant was broken time and time again. We literally break the law every day. So um, Moses is on Mount Sinai, and God meets him in a burning bush, and everything's looking good. And uh, here is the situation where uh, God says, hey, listen, my name is uh, uh, Yahweh, which means uh, I am that I am, which means literally I will be with you. And he says, I want to give you these commandments to help you live your lives as a saved, redeemed, delivered from Egypt people, right? So uh, I think at this point we need to take a little uh, uh, comic relief. And one of my favorite movies of all times, I, I, I humbly confess this, is The History of the World Part Two, uh, starring Mel Brooks. And Mel Brooks is uh, dressed up as Moses. And of course, he was a good Jewish boy. And uh, I want you to see what happened next. So take a look at this. Moses went to the mountain and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I punished you, forget it. Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. Ten, ten commandments for all to obey. I hope you enjoyed that. That's one of my favorite scenes of every movie. Uh, this guy comes out with 15 commandments and he drops five of them. So that's why we have 10 commandments. Listen, you can't even keep 10 commandments. So don't worry about the 15, what the other five were. So here we go. When Moses, this is uh, uh, from Exodus 32:19. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf, the golden calf that even Aaron helped construct, he even went off the rails. They saw the calf and the dancing. His anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Talk about breaking the law. That's what they did. They broke the law. The history of the Israelites and, by the way, the history of Jeff and Kathy and Charlie 
and me. Uh, Our history is that of idolatry and immorality and discontent and disobedience. And God said in Jeremiah, they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. God said, I kept my end of the bargain. I kept my covenant. I kept my promise. I still see them as the bride that I've always wanted. I still see them as this beautiful virgin that I always wanted, and yet they continually break the covenant. I kept my promise. God said, you not only broke a covenant. Uh, Charlie said this in his prayer. You broke my heart. I mean, I, I really, I've tried every way I possibly can to love you. Now, we know that there's something in the future now that's going to change everything, right? But I'm sure that God was so discouraged that this covenant failed over and over again. So here's the truth about the old covenant. You do this, God says, I'll do that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. Nothing wrong with the old covenant. It's just that we never keep our end of it, ever. It's crazy. There is nothing wrong. There's something wrong with us. Now, there's um, something that you've probably heard of. It's called a covenant marriage. And uh, some of you in our church probably even are part of a covenant marriage. This is a relatively new thing, maybe the last 15, 20 years. Only three states have this. Arizona is one of the three states that has this. And a covenant marriage is uh, a kick above a regular justice of the peace kind of marriage. You know, kind of a starter marriage for some people. A covenant marriage, you make a couple of promises. One of the promises to a covenant marriage, that's what it means, is that you will go through premarital counseling with an authorized pastor. You know, not Uncle Joe is going to walk you through this thing. You know, with a pastor, you go through premarital counseling. And then if something goes sideways in your marriage, you promise that before you do anything, you will seek out marriage counseling. And you'll do that. Now, there comes a time when if you both agree to get a divorce, you can get a divorce. But there's a lot of steps in there. And they even say, you really should never even consider divorce unless there's one of the big three that's happened, right? Abuse, adultery, or addiction. One of the things about a covenant marriage is that we still break it all the time. I hear of couples all the time who have a covenant marriage and they have this as kind of a, a kind of a comfort zone and everything, and yet it still doesn't work because we can't keep our covenants. A few years ago, Sherry and I went up to Payson for a marriage retreat, and uh, we've always tried to do this periodically, just kind of give our marriage a, a, you know, a jump start. And, and, and this time, it's something that really has stuck with us, probably 10 years ago. And we learned from somebody a phrase that has become our mantra, and it's this. It is my pleasure to serve you. It is my pleasure to serve you. And, and both of us keep that. Both of us keep. Now we fail at times and everything, and then we get back on the horse. But the, the fact is, uh, even something as powerful as that can be broken. God says, I am so sad that you continually are breaking this covenant. Jeremiah said, Israel fell out of love basically, and committed spiritual adultery on every high hill under every spreading tree, chapter 2, verse 20. Israel is having adultery and idolatry with all of these foreign gods. And you know this idea of falling out of love? Um, You know, that's, let me use a Greek word, a special Greek word for that. It's called baloney. 
Okay? And the reason I say that is um, you don't fall out of love. You either choose to love or you choose not to love. Okay? Just be real honest. This love thing that we've romanticized, love is a feeling that I feel when I feel a feeling that I've never felt before, it doesn't exist, okay? Love is a commitment. It's a decision. It's an, I'm going to do this. Now, I know there are times when that covenant's broken, but the fact is, we don't fall out of love. We choose not to love anymore. Now, here's the real shocker to this whole thing with the old covenant. If every sin is an act of covenant breaking, then every sinner, listen, That includes all of us. Every sinner is a covenant breaker. Every time we sin, we are being unfaithful in our marriage to God. There is nothing wrong with the law. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with the Old Covenant. The problem is with us. We are covenant breakers. And failure to keep the law and to keep the covenant brings consequences. The way it was said in the New Testament in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And Jeremiah said it this way, instead, everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. Chapter 31, verse 30. There is nothing wrong with the old covenant or the law. It's just our inability to obey it and our unwillingness to obey it. That's the old covenant. Okay, that's it. Let's go home. No, that's right. You're already home. And we don't want to end on that note, right? Because we still have to take a look at the new covenant. Jeremiah is the only place in the Old Testament that promises a new covenant. It's kind of a look forward, a snapshot of, 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 of fu- the future. What's going to happen in the future? Now, they didn't know it at that time. Only God knew. But that future looked like the Savior that was prophesied in Isaiah. Jesus Christ is going to bring and introduce the new covenant. So, the promises of a new covenant, a new testament. In the new covenant, there are many promises. But I'll just share three of them with you this morning. All of them come out of this overarching theme of the covenant of grace versus the covenant of law, the covenant of grace. The first thing is this. The new covenant holds the promise of reconciliation. The new covenant holds the promise of reconciliation. Jeremiah 31, 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This reconciliation brings back that which was broken. When we broke the covenant, we broke our relationship with God. And when we break a covenant of love and trust and mercy to other human beings of other races, other colors of skin, other languages, other genders, other anything, when we break that relationship, it is broken. And we've seen that in the last weeks. Now, I used this illustration back when we were doing the second Corinthians uh, study, but it's such a good example, I want to share it again. Again, I'm old school, okay? So I'm going to tell you about Bo Jackson in the 1980s. You remember me talking about this. After he struck out one time, he took a wooden bat, and he took it, and he popped it over his knee, broke it over his knee. And uh, you know what they do with those kind of bats? They throw them away. 
Do you know why they can't, they throw them away? Because it can't be fixed. It is shattered. It is broken. All of those splinters can never, ever again come together and be united. That's precisely what the word in the Greek language means for reconciliation. Something that was shattered, something that was broken. I think of Brenda Heddles and what she's going through with her breaks and everything. Something that just does, there's no chance that it can be changed and reconciled and healed. God promises to do that impossible work. To take that bat and to put it back together in perfect harmony. To take that broken arm and have it heal so that it's stronger than ever. What God did through Jesus Christ on the cross is not fix us. He reconciled us. He reconciled us to him and gave us the opportunity, listen to this, to reconcile ourselves to others as well. Listen to Jeremiah 50 verses 4 and 5. In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together, north and south together, will go in tears to seek the Lord. That's repentance, in tears to seek the Lord. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces toward it. That's an act of the will, to turn your face toward Zion. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord. That word bind is the word reconcile. It means to attach to something like, like spiritual superglue. So it makes it stronger than it ever was before. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not, listen, that will not be forgotten. It's like Jeremiah is seeing in the future and he's seeing what's going to be happening with Jesus. He doesn't know exactly all those details, but somehow God told him, tell the people this, there will be a way out. There will be a new covenant. That break that you have because you've broken the covenant and you've broken God's heart over and over again, that will be healed. It will be reconciled. It will come back together. And racial reconciliation? I mean, there is only one new covenant people of God. We are all together. The Bible says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 19 and 20, it says that all of the promises and blessings of God are fulfilled in Christ. And because they are fulfilled in Christ, here's what Christ says to us. He says, yes and amen. All of those promises, a promise of reconciliation, all of those promises of God's love for us are yes and amen. What a beautiful thing. We are reconciled, we are fused together so that we are stronger than before. The new covenant holds the promise of reconciliation, but the new covenant also holds something else. It's a promise of regeneration. Something that was dead is brought back to life. A person who is broken before God is healed and brought back to life. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. 
Now the problem with the Mosaic Covenant was that it was written on tablets of stone. It was written in a way that could be broken. The New Covenant gives us new hearts and new minds. Ezekiel says that he took a heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. And we're not talking about a set of rules or a checklist. We are talking about instead of externally trying to behave better, try to do the right thing, try to obey the law, we're not talking about the law that they used to put on parchments on their foreheads, on their wrists, write it all over, put it on school billboards, all of those things. All of those things are written and easily forgotten. What Jeremiah is saying is that God wants to put his law in our minds and in our hearts. Then you have transformation. Then you have regeneration. We've all struggled with um, this racial tension that we're feeling, and all of us are trying to pray and find ways towards racial reconciliation. In 1863, January 1, the Emancipation Proclamation was described by Abraham Lincoln, and that was written on a parchment, and it was posted everywhere. Two years later, when the Civil War was over, it was even posted down south in different places. But here's the problem. It was a piece of paper. Some things changed for the better. That was good that we just said no to slavery, although some People continue to keep slaves in Texas and Arizona and other places, but it was written on paper, easily broken, easily torn, and easily thrown away. And then in the late 1800s, in the late 19th century, there was, this is maybe 20 years after the Civil War, there was what they called the Jim Crow laws. And it was one of the most um, devilish things that ever happened in our country. Basically, it said this, that in the South, we're making segregation not a suggestion. We're making it a law. We're making segregation a law. We're going to make sure that people don't forget that the race of African-Americans are less than the rest of us. You know, that Jim Crow law wasn't abolished until 1954. And then the Civil Rights Act of 1964, again, printed on all the newspapers, put in all the places that you would expect on plaques and on slogans and everywhere. It was wonderful and it, it made a difference, but it was made of paper. It was made of a stone. It could be easily broken. And even in 1972, the Equal Rights Act, uh, some women today say, when are we going to really see equality? Because it's not really happening the way we thought it would. And all of these things were written on parchments and written on stones, easily broken, easily forgotten. What Jeremiah is saying this, I want those things written on your heart. I want the idea that all people are created equal written on your hearts. I want the idea that there is no slave or free, there male or female, Jew or Gentile. I want that written on your heart. I want that written on your mind. You know what? That's when we're going to have racial reconciliation. When we as, as Americans, as Christians, as Christ followers, start looking at each other through the eyes of Jesus, 
not through a color of their skin or a dialect in their language or the educational background or anything else. We start looking at people through the eyes of Jesus. That's when we have been regenerated and transformed in our hearts, in our minds. This is brand new. God's law is not coming from above, from Mount Sinai. God's law is being placed in our hearts. Thomas Akempis, um, a wonderful theologian of the 14th century, wrote these words. Write your blessed name, O Lord, upon my heart, there to remain so indelibly engraved that no prosperity or adversity shall ever remove me from your love. O Yesu, my only Savior, write your blessed name, O Lord, upon my heart. That's when we're going to see changes in our society. Not by writing new amendments and new laws. That's all good and it's all helped to a certain degree. But it's when we start writing the law of God, which is to love people the way that God has loved us, we start writing that love in our hearts and in our minds. Sermon on the Mount, the law said, don't kill each other. Jesus changed that in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, even if you have hatred in your heart for a brother or a sister, it's like you're killing them. The new covenant is a promise of regeneration, a promise of a changed heart. The last thing is this. The new covenant is eternal. How deep and wide we read in the book of Ephesians is the love that God has for us, his eternal love for his children. In Exodus 6, 7, God said, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Song of Solomon 2.16 says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. And it was Hosea chapter 2 and Zechariah chapter 8, I will say to those called not my people, You are my people. And they will say, You are my God. The Old Testament rightly declares that you break your promise, you break a covenant, and I'll cast you out. Rightly and fairly so. Don't complain to God if he says that's what you deserve because it is exactly what you deserve. But the new covenant is not about do's and don'ts. It's not about behavior. It's about a love relationship with God. It's about that mutuality. It's about that, uh, not this covenant, you do this, I'll do that. But God says, I will do everything and you just receive me. You just take me into your life. In Jeremiah 31, 35 to 37, the Lord says, I'll stop loving you. I'll stop keeping my end of the covenant when the heavens can be measured. <laughs> When's that going to happen for all eternity, right? I will stop loving you when the foundations of the earth below be searched out. That means the bottom of the ocean. When's that going to happen? That's never going to happen. The new covenant is, likely to, is as likely to fail as the entire universe grinds to a halt. God will no more forget his people than the humanity will unravel all the mysteries of interstellar space. The new covenant is an eternal promise from God. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. No conditional promise, but unconditional love. Do we deserve it? Of course not. That's exactly what God offers to us. So how does this work? 
The old covenant, we sin, we disobey, we die. Totally fair. No, nothing wrong with the law. Just something wrong with us, right? The new covenant says something completely different. We can't keep the law, but Jesus Christ did. We can't fulfill the law, but Jesus Christ did. Hear this. The covenant keeping of Jesus Christ counts for you and me. Let me say that again. The covenant keeping of Jesus Christ counts for you and me. In other words, the new covenant is not an agreement between God and us because we always fail. Rather, the new covenant is a blood bond between God the Father and God the Son on our behalf. Jesus Christ makes and keeps the covenant for us because we are in Christ. And to that promise, like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we simply say yes and amen. Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Thank you, Father, for this um, amazing truth that we find in your word. Lord, we forget that um, the old covenant, thank the Lord, had a shelf life and that the new covenant came along and changed everything. Thank you, Father, that um, we are accepted because we are in Christ and he is in us. Thank you that we are redeemed because he redeemed us. Thank you that even though we have not kept the covenant, he has, and he has kept it on our behalf. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And Lord, I just want to ask now, and I, I know that most of the ones that are listening to this message um, are already Christ followers, but just the Lord's just asking me to say this. If, if you've never said yes to Jesus, like he said yes to you, if you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Just in a very simple way, I want you to pray this prayer, not out loud, but just simply in the quietness of your own heart, something like this. Lord Jesus, I have broken your promises and your covenant so many times. I have hurt myself and I've hurt people so often. I'm so sorry. I recognize that I can't keep the law as much as I try. But I do believe with all my heart, I do believe that you kept the law. You fulfilled the law by taking my sins, my brokenness, my broken covenant upon yourself and died for my sins that I might have life and have it abundantly. And so Lord, with the faith that I have, I simply pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Make me a new person. Regenerate me, reconcile me, bring me new life for all eternity. I ask Jesus to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord. And I do this by faith. And Lord, I pray that this prayer would cause Jesus to say yes and amen. Thank you, Father, for your love. And thank you, Father, for this word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.